Ashington is a pit village in Northumberland, about 20 miles to the north of Newcastle. It was once said to be the biggest pit village in the world, and it certainly is one of the oldest and most famous mining towns in the northeast. Some of the pits in the surrounding countryside have closed, but on the other hand, new coastal mines stretching six miles under the North Sea are being worked at Lynmouth and elsewhere. And there are the old established collieries at Ellington, Pegswood, North Seaton and Ashington itself. Ashington resembles an Irish country town with the usual complement of shops and public buildings. There are, however, only three pubs. The local landowner and co-owner, the Duke of Portland, a teetotaler, stipulated that no public houses should be built on his land. The mining community got around this, however, by building 21 workingmen's clubs. The Ashington Colliery is just off the main street, tucked behind rows and rows of brown brick miners' cottages. The battle between capital and labour has been going on here as elsewhere in Northumberland for over a hundred years. And the miner's story is one of explosions, disasters, inundations, strikes, lockouts and victimisation. The appalling working conditions and the fight to improve these bred a race of hard men with a sense of comradeship. It's in the evening after dark when the black leg miner creeps to walk with his moleskin pants and dirty short. There goes the black leg miner. He takes his picks and doon he goes to hew the cool that lies below. But there's not a woman in this town who will look at the black leg miner. So join the union while you may. Don't wait till you die in day, cause that may not be far away. No dirty black leg miner. It makes me very conscious of being part of a special race, a special breed, because the Northumbrian pitmen, indeed the County Durham pitmen as well, had a real rough time. My grandfather talks about when his father used to carry him over the fields to the pit on his back as a small boy of 13. My own father went down the mine at 14. He didn't want to go down the pit. He was compelled to. Had he not, the rest of the family would have been evicted from the coal company house. So his whole life was channelled for him. And once he got into the pit, it's a gruelling, horrible existence. Everybody in my family, every male in my family, has been badly injured in the pit. They're a hardy, hardy race. Tough men. I'm very proud to, to come from that strain. Oh, the collier lad, he's a canny lad and he's always a good cheer. And he knows how to walk, and he knows how to soak, and he knows how to suck good beer. Why, it's doing the shaft on a Monday morn, and the cable is the best. In the busty seam with Thompson's team, and the flat called the 14th West. No, the fiesta's is 105 yards long, when measured from nook to nook. And when crawling all the scufflings, lads, keep them down, or you're going to get stuck. The the number of disasters uh, and the number of lives which have been lost in the coal mines in the northeast of England can never be assessed 
can never be assessed. The nearest we can get to it, there's been a bit of work done on this one in research. Um, at one time, there must have been a thousand people a year dying in the coal mines. Uh, this was through inundation, through explosion, through individual men going, or perhaps groups of 25 and 26. But you go to any area, and each area will tell its tales of death in the mass. You can go to southeast Northumberland to a place called Harton, 204 people died. And another eight died trying to rescue the other ones. You can go to a place in County Durham called Seaham. 169 died there. In my own village where I come from, it's in northwest Durham, a very uh, old and traditional mining area, no pits left now, they've shut them down. <clears throat> but uh, in my time in that village, there has been uh, an explosion which cost the lives of... Uh, uh, of 19, there's been another explosion which cost the lives of only three before I was born, but very much sunk into the, the village uh, conscious uh, there was 100 and, uh, 168 died before that in the same quarry there was 19 died, and that's only in one small very small mining village um, any mining area in Northumberland and Durham you can go to you, you've, you've got stories of, explo of explosion of, uh, of inundation, of roof fall Many, many people have died, but we'll never know how many because until the 1840s, they didn't even bother to hold an inquest on a miner who was killed. It was an act of God. A miner was killed below ground. Uh, but we've got records going back to uh, the 14th century of people who died uh, below ground in, in various mining disasters. Well, that kind of thing very obviously colours uh, the community sort of... Oh, let's not think of tomorrow, lest we disappointed be. Our joys may turn to sorrow, as we all may daily say. Today was strong and healthy, but tomorrow comes a change. As we may see from the explosion that's occurred at Trimden Green. Men and boys set out that morning for to earn their daily bread. Not thinking that by evening they'd be numbered with the dead. Let's think of Mrs. Burnett once had sons but now has none. By the Trimden Grange explosion, Joseph, George and James have gone. Well, I was 17 in January that year, and uh, it was into, into the June, and I was pony pudding, and I had a bit of a, a silly pony, wild a bit, and it just bolted on us, and it, uh, it took some timber out. Stones come down, and I was under them. When I got out, the hand was bashed up. Scraped a bit, you know, down the back and skinned. But, uh, well, just one of them things, you have to stand it. So you you didn't get much compensation out of that, anyway? No, as I said, just 50 bob a fortnight. And, uh, as I say, you were 
you weren't paid for loss of blame, you were paid for loss of earnings, and I hadn't lost many earnings, so I just got a few, few bub, a few shilling. It was really not. But did that affect your work subsequently? I mean, there were certain types of work you couldn't do after that. Well, the, I, well, I managed to do every all types of work, right, but it was with difficulty at times, such as gri- gripping levers, where you wanted two hands, well, as I say, I more or less just had the one finger and thumb for on one hand to grip with, and a, a decent hand the other one, thank good. And uh, now and again, it used to get bashed on the on the knuckle there where the finger was amputated, and it used to set you off a bit. You used to bash on the nose you have. You were walking and you happened to bash it. You used to set you crazy a bit like. And you still feel pain. Oh, yeah, especially if it's cold, it's still, you know, it's getting straight of it. I've got to keep it warm. And then you developed uh, a, some sort of uh, skin oh, disease I, as well. I, on that hand, that was, uh, that was only about 14, 15 years ago. We were and it was terrible conditions. We were using the hydraulic, hydraulic supports at the time and mixture of that oil and the sludge we were working amongst that, I think it was that that set this hand away and no if I can't grip anything tight for any length of time it cracks and starts bleeding I had a hell of a fight, I got compensation for that leg but I had a hell of a fight for it in front of doctors and the skin specialist that had found for to prove my case and I finally, finally made it and then I didn't come up with a great lot I was quoted as 5% disability. I think it amounted of what they call life for over seven years. I think I got about 150 pounds, I think. That was the life of it. Plus, I get the, this hardship, miners' industrial hardship allowance every week, which has went up lately to 11 pound 44. Well, that eases it a little bit, like. Makes a good thing at the end of the year when you're reckoning up. But I got more for that hand than what I got for the one that I partly lost Alligator. Last Saturday night by the banks of the day, I met an old man in distress I could see. I sat down beside him and to me he did say. Oh, I've lost me employment, for me hair it's torn grey. I am an old miner, aged fifty and six. If I could get lots, oh, I'd ruffle me picks. I'd ruffle them, or I'd sell them, or I'd give them away. For I've lost me employment, for me hair it's torn grey. I've mentioned an explosion at Hartley Colliery. What happened there was um, that 204 men died simply because the one uh, uh, access they had, egress and access, was at a single shaft. And it wasn't an explosion, it wasn't an inundation or nothing. It was simply that the machine broke, a machine which hangs over the shaft. Uh, there's a big 10-ton arm of this machine broke. It tumbled down the shaft and carried away all the the, uh, the timbering and it finished up with about 45 yards of rubble at the bottom but that rubble blocked their um, blocked the way out of the pit. 
And what happened to them is that they suffocated to death. Um, 204 of them went away. Um, but nobody ever, ever spared effort. I mean, that, that pit was worked um, 24 hours a day. I suppose it's a human thing. There's nothing so, so remarkable about it. This is what people do and communities do in that kind of situation. But in the, in the mining community, I think perhaps we see more of it. Therefore, we, um, we, we tend to think that it's uh, unique to us. We, I, I don't know whether it's so or not. The hungry man are noble and you'll hear a tale of woe. I'll tell of the doom of the hungry man in the year of 62. It was on a Thursday morn and in the first month of my year when there befell a tragedy as sadly ye shall hear. Now to and fro the putters run as where the tubs they go, and clang a wheel and hoof on steel, ring in the mines below. The din and strife of human life is hard in wall and board, when all at once a shock is felt, which fills each heart with dread. And then a silent killer moved him known among the men. Each tried to rise, but shut his eyes and fell to sleep again. Some sing their spirits for to cheer, some doon in prayer do fall. But gas was filling up the space and soon will kill them all. Well, burning buttons, when you went into these places where there was uh, no conveyors, and he went in uh, what they called boards and wells. And he used to get in and seek the main tubes with the pulleys, shove that empty, shove the empty tub in, fill up and keep keep going for the rest of your shift. And he would pay it on the scores that you produced. The harder you went, the more money you got, which you had to work hard to get, because at that particular time it was uh, it was one and thumpings a score. That's what I had when I started as a lot. One something to school. I'm just a smelly laddie, hardly old enough to you. But I've held me on it, putting with the best I have on you. Give us plenty bait and bottle, plenty beef and bucky chows. And I'll bet me bunch of tokens that from Gannon don't allow. I'm running for the Odin, running for the Odin, running for the Odin from Gannon don't allow. There's a half a dozen gannons in the flat that damn it now And if I had me on a choosin' I would hear one, one or two But somehow or other, how it comes, I never know I sure as rub me careful, it's the worsen on the sir I'm running for the Odin, running for the Odin Running for the Odin from Gannon down to Lowe's The Londonderries uh, the Londonderries held huge estates in Ireland. They also held huge estates in the north of England and indeed elsewhere. And um, when we had a, a great strike here, the first of the, the great miners' strikes, in fact, was in the northeast in 1831, 1832. Um, Lord Londonderry held uh, huge tracts of mining leases and uh, he, he held uh, uh, mines and employed miners. And um, what happened there uh, made, the, made the name of Londonderry um, 
absolutely reviled, and even today, the, the, the family, and of course it still exists, uh, there's a Lynn and Derry still living now, um, still slightly uh, reviled among the, uh, the historically conscious miner. What happened was, he said, OK, if you go on strike, he said, I will bring over my Irish tenantry to break your strike, I will have you evicted from your homes, and, and so on and so forth. And he, he said that any, any one of the shopkeepers in his town of Siam Harbour who served the poor, deluded children of miners uh, on credit uh, would be evicted from their, from their premises and so forth. Now, um, that was um, a Londonderry, and uh, that, you would admit, seems to smack something of Irish history too, doesn't it? I mean, he used the weapon of the Irish tenantry to break a strike here. It would have been absolutely the same. If uh, the Irish tenantry had been causing him problems, he would have been telling them, I shall bring over some of my uh, English peasantry to take it up from you. It seems to have a certain smack about it of, uh, of history. In Waterham County, I am sorry for to say that hunger and starvation is increasing every day. For the want of food and coals, we know not what to do. But with your kind assistance, we will stand the struggle through. I needn't state the reason why we have been brought so low. The masters have behaved unkind, which everyone will know. Because we won't lie down and let them treat us as the like. To punish us, they've stopped the pits and caused the present strike. May every Durham colliery owner that is in the fault receive nine lashes with a rod and then be rubbed with salt. May his back be thick with boils so that he may never sit. And never boss until the wheels gone round at every pit. Time trails his leads and dares across the fields into the last oblivion, yet the hope of freedom's triumph in each overpeers. Nor is he faced where forlorn men go up for grace. Time is freedom's slave. The horrid bend his night and day endeavours to the end. And what's time doing for us? The human worlds that crowd below the earth's deep groan and crust? The hulk from nature's treasure house? The cools that for our country's needs are still a must? To make the turbines home? The poor laid on our tools that implement what trade? Why, we've won justice through our unity. What common burned high poor no defies. We'll put an end to profit lust or spree that gripped the throat of war tormented cries. When war sad plight was never understood, and dividends were won with Pitman's blood. In later years, what happened? Um, 
uh, well, the 1914 and war seems to have been the great uh, watershed. I know this, this also applies elsewhere in rural England as well, but I think more so here, and there's proof of that, because in 1918... People, miners who'd gone away to that war, fought in uh, the local county regiments here. There was the Durham Light Infantry, um, and there was the, Northam, the, the Royal Northumberland Fusiliers. They went away and they came back, and they really started to believe. They went there with ideals, and they realised those ideals had been abused. They came back, and they realised that uh, nothing, had, nothing had altered. Things hadn't changed. And in 19, I think it was 1919, for the first time in British political history... Uh, there came uh, a point where the working uh, class community um, had an opportunity of voting um, for his own uh, kind of person. What happened in County Durham, in fact, was that uh, dramatically in one year, uh, the people who'd ruled the county council were the co uh, coal owners, the landowners. Uh, they were suddenly uh, kicked out, and uh, the following uh, council meeting uh, consisted of uh, little fellows with bow-legged, pallid faces in flat caps and silk scarves who didn't even know how to conduct a meeting. They had a, a, a leader of immense uh, capability called Peter Lee. And he, in fact, brought them, reared them, schooled them and taught them. He became ch uh, chairman of the council that year, of course. And from there on, um, I think it's uh, Durham County has remained uh, a labour stronghold. One constituency, Chesterley Street, for instance, has never ever, uh, despite all political upset, despite all reverses for the Labour Party, it's never ever uh, reversed its, uh, its political feeling. It's voted Labour forever. I believe it's the only one in Britain. And of course, beyond that again, you, uh, going back to the 1870s when there was a, an extension of the franchise, it gave the vote to a, a broader spectrum of the, of the working community. Well, uh, this was hailed as a, a great uh, democratic victory by the working class community of that time, certainly in the northeast. And that constituency was in Morpeth. Uh, it was a miner called Thomas Burt. And uh, he, he stood for Parliament, of course, uh, with the vote being extended to include uh, the miners. And the Morpeth area at that time was largely a mining community. Of course, he got in. He was the first ever working class. It's an outmoded phrase now, I know, but then it, it really wasn't. Uh, first ever working class member of parliament in British uh, political history. Thomas Burt, when he went there, um, there was a great, a great deal of fun made of him because of his dialect for a start. People um, in, uh, in the House of Commons had never heard a dialect such as Thomas Burt's, a Geordie dialect. He couldn't be otherwise, he had to be a Geordie, you know. Uh, but he's a very, very intelligent man. And... Uh, uh, Politically, of course, he had to be liberal because the, the, the Labour Party hadn't been invented then. If you're inclined to hear a song, I'll sing a verse or two. And when I's done, you're gonna to say that every word is true. Now the miners of South Meadows Lean, they never will forget Isaac and his tyranny and how they had been treated. For in the midst of danger, these hardy sons did toil. Water on their daily threads, so far beneath the soil. To make an honest livelihood, each miner did contrive. But ye shall hear how they were solved in 1995. Oh, the miners of St. Adam's Lane, they're gonna to make some stew. They're gonna to boil fat foster candies, dirty candy crew. The master shrub now put soup as long as they're alive. In memory of that. The pit manager is always a little interesting character. He is um, 
fairly powerful man from time to time. What sort of relationship exists between the pit manager, for the most part, and the workers? We've had some managers you could speak to. We've, we've had some right... When you kill them swine, I would kill them. They don't know how to speak to me, and they don't know how to treat me. And I think we've got a one at the present time. He's a, he's not all a pleasant nature, the fella. You get more grunts than what you get wards out of him. And uh, I don't think there's a great good relationship between the, the pitman and him. Not too, not too strong. People just tend to ignore him. He's not there. But some of them are characters in their own right. Oh, aye, yes. Well, some, there's some funny men, some funny men. But, uh, you know, I know they've got a job of work to do, but saying good morning to anybody is... That's not costing the world the money. I've been sociable, but as I say, that man, I... I just let him, if he speaks, I speak back. If he doesn't, well, he just walks by and we ignore him. I ignore him. It's the best way to get on with him. A dialogue I'll tell you as true as me life Between a coal owner and a poor pitman's wife As she was a-walking along the highway why she met the coal owner and the shit did say Derry down, 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 Derry down Good morning, Lord Firedamp, this woman, she says I'll do you no harm, sir, so didn't be afraid If ye'd been where I've been the most of me life Ye wadn't torn pale at the poor pitman's wife Derry down, 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 Derry down The term Geordie is a very loose term. It embraces your, your Northumbrians, Tynesiders, people from the mining communities of County Durham, North West Durham, and to a certain extent people from Teesside. That's how the foreigner or the outsider would think of a Geordie. Once you came here, you would see that the, there's quite sharp divisions, in fact. The Teesider has his special culture and his, his own accent. Your Tynesider has his own way of life and his own accent. And your Geordies or your Northumbrians, as far as I'm concerned, people from Northumberland, the part, say, from about... 10 or 12, 13 miles north of the Tyneside conurbation, which sprawls the length of the River Tyne. North of there, there are Geordies. Also, in the pockets of the mining belt in mid-Durham and north-west Durham. You know, for all there's this huge conurbation that separates the Northumbrian miners and the Durham miners, the two communities are very alike. Very alike. But the, the people who live in the middle... That's on Tyneside. On Tyneside. They're different. It's very tribal, the North East, very tribal. And then again, once you get into Northumberland itself, again, if, we, if I can call that my Geordie land, even that can be subdivided into various communities. Uh, in North East Northumberland, the Pitt District, the people there have their own way of life. You get a little bit further north of that, when the pits run out and fishing begins to pick up, 
they're a different community again with a, their own peculiar accent and dialect west of that if you go a little bit further inland the fishing there's no fishing no sea fishing uh, the mines run out again because you're getting into the Cheviot foothills and they're farmers and farm labourers and traditional craftsmen they're different again and north of that lot you're away up almost to the border to the border country uh, that accent could be mistaken for Scots in many respects Northumbrians generally have have little regard for people from uh, from other parts of the country, particularly if they come from the great urban areas. A Northumbrian would have little regard for somebody from Tyneside, for example, which could only be about say fifteen or twenty miles away from his town. Or, or village, we have market towns and villages out here, we don't have any great sprawling towns. People who tend to live in the big conurbations are a lot, they have a sharper, more abrasive, less friendly character. Therefore, your Northumbrian tends to mistrust them. I don't know how justified that is, but uh, I think generally people, toonies as we call them up here, or the old people, the old folks, the old pitmen, the old fishermen look upon you, your toonie who will drive up here on a Sunday as some sort of a spiv. They wouldn't cheat him, they wouldn't be any less friendly to him, but they would be a little wary. We have a case history in a small village. Case history, that sounds very pedantic, but we have a case of a, a local um, uh, a village near where I live, of a pit there. Well, this man was three days underground and he was trapped. Water was rising until, in fact, all he had was the width from the roof to just under his upper lip. In other words, he's three days, he finished up bending his head towards the roof to breathe. Now, that's three days, of that's a terrifying proposition. But when the man came out, um, the only thing he could say, if I was going to be rescued, I was going to be rescued. In other words, he knew full well that the, <laughs> no effort was going to be spared to, uh, to retrieve him from that situation. And in fact, that was so. No effort was spared, and he, he, he lived. Uh, 
Forty-seven brave men are dead The wives and sweethearts never returning The seams are thick and ochengief The coal below is black and glistening But the cost of coal is far or dear For human lives there is near a for coal is black and coal is red And coal is rich beyond the treasure It's black with work and red with blood It's richness new and lives we measure Far better that we'd never wrought A thousand years of work and grievance the coal is black like the morning shroud The women left behind their weaving In Nochengief there stands a pit The wheel above it is night turning For on a grey September morn the fires of hell below were burning. Conditions have improved about 3,000%. The bad old days, you know, have gone. But that doesn't mean to say that it's still a pleasant existence having to go down a pit to make your living, to have to work all manner of shifts and all weathers to get to your colliery. When you get down there, you're six miles under the sea in these coastal collieries we've got now. The sea comes in, that's it. You've had it. People have been dying from up here for years in the mines as uh, stone dust disease, coal dust disease, damp, gas, all manner of things that can befall a pitman just on his way in and out to the pit face before he picks up his, you know, pushes a button to start his machine. The machines themselves are monstrous affairs. It must be something like Dante's Inferno when you go down to a pit face these days. Massive things. Miners' wages have improved immensely. But as my father was saying the other day, how can you pay enough, how can you compensate a man for this? He wakes up at about two o'clock in the morning, he looks outside, it's pouring a rain, a real filthy night, he's got to get up, leave his house, get dressed, drive wherever he's got to drive to, to his pit, go to the pit head, put his old gear on, down the shaft, be driven six miles under the sea. When he gets there, he's up to his waist in water, as muck and filth all over the shop all over the place and he's got to 
work his shift in those conditions, come back again, go through the whole process and go home. Who can blame him if one night he gets up and he says, oh, I'm not going to go to work today? That's why there's absenteeism in the pit. The only way to get these men down there is to pay them a good wage. You wonder why they go. It's another aspect of the Northumbrian character. The lack of alternatives. You've got to go down the pit. Or you've got to go to work on the farms or at, at sea. Or go down to Tyneside and work in, uh, in the shipbuilding industry. There's not a great deal of alternative. They're bringing light industry into the place now. But it's hard to train up people to work in factories uh, after they've been used, uh, you know, with a life, a great tradition in the same industry. They're drifted away. I'm an example. I didn't go down the pit. Had I been my grandfather's son instead of my father's son, I wouldn't have had any option. I couldn't have said, I don't want to go down the pit. I would have had to go in there. So things are better in that respect. Still a hard life here. It's why people are still proud to be Geordies. It's why we sing about the place. The bonny pit laddie, the canny pit laddie, the bonny pit laddie for me, oh. He sits on his cracker as black as his jacket and brings away silla to me, oh. He walks hard. And he brings us all his money, oh. He takes us in his arms and calls me his hinny, oh. The bonny pit laddie, the canny pit laddie, the bonny pit laddie for me, oh. He sits on his hunkers and yaks at the bunkers and brings white silver to me, oh. He comes yem and he tells us all his troubles, oh. He's had a row with the gaffer about his lazy marazo. The bonny pit laddie, the canny pit laddie, the bonny pit laddie for me, oh. He sits in his hole as black as the coal and brings white silver to me, oh. He comes yem and he brings us all his money, oh. He takes us in his arms and calls me his hideo. Bonny pit laddie, the canny pit laddie, the bonny pit laddie for me, oh. He sits on his cracker as black as his jacket and brings white silver to me, oh. 